DiscerningHearts.com presents Regnum Novum, bringing forth the new evangelization through Catholic social teaching with Deacon Omar Gutierrez. Deacon Gutierrez studied theology at the Franciscan University of Steubenville and at the Angelicum in Rome. He holds a master's degree in theology from the University of Dallas. He has worked for the church in various capacities, including as a teacher and administrator, and is currently on the faculty of the School of Faith. His expertise includes Catholic social teaching, and his writings on the subject have appeared in several national Catholic newspapers and periodicals. He's the author of The Urging of Christ's Love, The Saints, and the Social Teaching of the Catholic Church. Regnum Novum, bringing forth the new evangelization through Catholic social teaching with Deacon Omar Gutierrez. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Welcome, Omar. Thank you, Chris. Good to be back. Solidarity, a term we've seen a lot recently Mm -hmm. over the last maybe 30 years because of the charism of Pope John Paul II, yeah. and that rallying term that was used by the people of Poland. That's right. Solidarność in uh, Polish, the, the Great Solidarity Movement movement in the shipyards of Gdansk uh, from 1980-81. And um, uh, in the attempt to try to bring the workers together was the first non-state-owned or state-run union in the Soviet bloc. Um, and the Holy Father sort of inspired this movement of solidarity based on his approach to the human person. So in this last principle of the social doctrine, in this last point, we have kind of the culmination of all the previous points and all the previous principles and everything sort of coming together in this question of solidarity, which is a term that gets thrown around a lot in social justice talk, but um, it's one that has, a, um, I think, a very specific meaning more than just kind of a vague feeling of kindness. And this is an important thing, I think, to to dwell on for a moment. What differentiates the social doctrine of the church from charity work uh, or common civil care for one's neighbor is that what's motivating the Christian starts once again with our very first point, Jesus Christ, who is the great exemplar of the kind of solidarity we're talking about. And that is a solidarity wherein we're willing to lay ourselves down, we'll lay our lives down for our neighbor. That's what we're called to. When we talked about the various values, faith, truth, freedom, justice, and love, solidarity is, is you can say, is the manifestation and the principles of the value of love. And what kind of love are we called to as Christians but the self-sacrificial, all-encompassing, emptying, self-emptying love? And so solidarity starts, first of all, with you know, this intrinsic understanding that as, as, as human beings, we're social. We have a social character. And everybody understands that, I think, you know, from Aristotle to John Locke and Hobbes and, and, and the rest. I mean, we, we understand that we're social beings. And we also understand, too, in, in, our, in our day and age, how social we can be with Facebook and Twitter and everything. You have these Mm-hmm. These uh, connections people are making here in the United States, in Kansas City, let's say, to revolutionaries in Libya and Iran, um, or uh, through Facebook, connections you might have uh, with a loved one who's living in China, even though you might be in western Michigan. It's amazing the kinds of bonds we can have through technology 
with other persons all over the world, and that's really unique for our for our day and age. But beyond this forensic, surfacy notion of just being social beings, what solidarity encourages us to understand is that this is more than just being social, but a moral principle to live our lives by. And the moral principle is that we are not um, islands. Um, our lives don't make sense outside of the context of community, which is why our second point after Jesus Christ, our second point was communion uh, versus opposition. Mm-hmm. Um, in the West, we're, we're often taught to think of the fundamental cell of society as being the individual, but the individual makes no sense out of the context of a family. Individuals cannot breed. Individuals cannot love because there is no thou after the I. Mm. You have to have community. You have to have society. And it's this, what, what, it's what Cardinal George calls this uh, um, ontology of communion or communio. It's this understanding that we're not islands, that we're connected, that we require social activity within the context of society to be more fully who we are. That informs the social doctrine of the church and really shaped the way Catholics, Christians viewed each other for centuries until the Enlightenment. Even the utterance of a term like social Hmm. today carries connotations (laughs) in someone's mind of socialism. And in this great debate that we're having, even in the context of our own country, Hmm. what is socialism? What is social justice? And somehow, we've, and we've talked about this at length in previous episodes, Catholic social teaching gets dragged into the, the muddiness mm. of the other interpretations. Yes, it does. And, and that, that, that connotation of social is unfortunate. But what's interesting is in the, that insertion of socialism through the Enlightenment thinkers like Engels and Jean-Jacques Rousseau and then Marx eventually – these were attempts of theirs to try to answer this question of the individual and society because they had stripped themselves of the Christian tradition. Once they removed God out of the picture, now they had to try to make some kind of sense of, of the human person outside of the context of God and therefore outside of the context of community and outside of the context of society because for them the individual was the end-all be-all of human action. So that you can you can you can get a, a Thomas Hobbes who wrote Leviathan, who influenced Western thought and, and and our own political structure here in the United States. You can get a Thomas Hobbes who who says that the government has to exist as the strong centralized government, or else we will all devolve into complete and utter chaos. And so we have to have a strong government that tells us what to do. And from that, then you get Karl Marx who says, well, then you have to have the government to take everything from everybody and distribute it properly because without the government we'll all devolve into utter chaos. Yeah, it's it's uh once you start removing god, it's it, we see in history what happens. And uh, so socialism ends up becoming an ism instead of being a natural byproduct of our love of neighbor by virtue of the fact that they are not just our neighbor but a created image in the image and likeness of god. Tell me if this is too much of a stretch that when you talk about th- their expression of a need for the big government and the big structure to be able to help society function, mm. b- and they need that because they've stripped God out of there, it is almost as though they've created an anti-God. Yes, <laughs> yeah. 
Exactly right. And there are other names for anti-God, like <laughs> anti-Christ. Right. But well, they've, yeah, they've they've had to replace God with something else. And for for Marx, it was you know it was the state. It's it's material. It's material things. Uh, for Hitler, it was the state and and race. For others, it's you know economic systems. Once you remove God, I think Dostoevsky is ultimately right. Without God, everything is permitted. So the struggle that we've had in trying to understand a proper social relationship in the West has has come from this real lack of, again, what Carl George calls this ontology of communion, this sort of innate sense that we used to have that we're, we can't make it all alone. And this is why I've said, and I've mentioned before in our previous conversations, that that this notion of the self-made man is a myth. There is no such thing as the self-made man because even when you have those wonderful stories of the guy who pulled himself up by his bootstraps and founded his own business, these great entrepreneurial stories, inevitably, necessarily, you, you have to take into account the fact that that man was raised by other people, that the food that man ate was probably raised by somebody else, that the clothes he were, was wearing was, you know, was made by somebody else, uh, the building he lives in, the resources he used, that the uh, the laborers that he were, the maybe the seed money he got came from somebody else. Whatever the the the, the business is protected by somebody else. Whatever it is, he didn't do it all by himself. It's impossible, um, and that's the that's the foundation point for this question of solidarity. It's not just what John Locke or Adam Smith will say in the founding of our country or Thomas Jefferson, it's not just enlightened self-interest. You know, it's not just this notion of, well, you know, if we, I understand that it's better for everybody involved if we get along, uh, and I try to respect your rights, um, because ultimately that's, that's the best reasonable position to have. I mean, that's, that's an argument, but that's not what the Catholic Church is inviting us to. Our Catholic Church is inviting us to to be more than just enlightenedly enlightened self-interest. They're inviting us to that self-sacrificial love of Christ on the cross. And this is why the Compendium will say, you know, at the very end, what what do we know about solidarity from the Scriptures, from what Jesus taught? Look to the cross. He, we have a God. We believe in a God who who had such solidarity with His own creatures. That he came down to become one of us and suffered horribly for our sakes. This is the central Christian message. When we talk about being a people of the word, this is the word. This is the good news that we have a God who expressed utter solidarity with his own people to the point of self-abasement and and uh, self-emptying. That's the kind of solidarity we're called to. So when we start talking about the social doctrine and we think about solidarity, um, it, it, we have to be careful that we're not just talking about this kind of vague feeling of being connected with people on the other side of the world or a vague feeling of being connected to somebody next door, which is, this is precisely why you know, uh, sending money off to some charity is not, does not fulfill uh, the requirements for solidarity um, because you you're not laying your life your life down for that. You are you're in a sense buying uh, your right not to be bothered with thinking about the poor when you do that. What we're being called to do is to connect with those that are in need, so that we can better serve God, better serve the Christ who 
shows us what true solidarity is. What would connect be defined as? Well, for, for instance, uh, we can take the sort of the everyday uh, example um, of a parent, you know, because social justice starts at home. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the father who is, who's not just saying, uh-huh, mm-hmm, to his wife, but listening to what she says. Or who will take a break from checking the scores on the internet to listen to his son's inane story about whatever it might be, which I found myself doing the other day. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's part of what Connect is. This is why we have to be very, very clear that, I mean, if, if, uh, if you're not living out the Christian life in the home, if you're not bringing the sense of, of, um, the common good and universal destination of goods and participation and subsidiarity and solidarity into your home, then it, then you're probably not bringing it then out into into the world. So it starts there. So that that's connecting there. But when it comes out to the world, it's not just giving money. For instance, I was approached the other day by a homeless man who was hungry, and he asked me for some money. I could very easily have said, "Okay, well here's the money," and and felt good about it because, hey, you know, what he does with it is what his own business. Uh, but instead I said, get in. Get in my car. I'll drive you to the McDonald's. I'll buy you the food and, and we can chat. And so that's what we did. That's connecting. Now, you know, somebody may say, well, that's, you know, you're putting yourself in danger there. I mean, who knows? Maybe the guy has a gun. You have to be prudent. Certainly, you have to be prudent, no doubt. But if you don't lay your life down for your neighbor as Christ calls us to, then what are you doing as a Christian? How are you trying to connect? We'll return to Regnum Novum with Omar Gutierrez in just a moment. This is Chris McGregor. The work of Discerning Hearts could not continue without your prayers and support. Please consider making a tax-deductible gift. Click Donate at either DiscerningHearts.com or inside the Discerning Hearts free app. Your generous support will allow us to continue our podcast for those on the discerning journey. Thank you and God bless from all of us at Discerning Hearts. A teaching of St. Paul from his second letter to the Corinthians. We are not discouraged. Rather, although our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to what is seen, but to what is unseen. For what is seen is transitory, but what is unseen is eternal. Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. We, Chris McGregor, the board, and I all know that not everyone listening can help financially. We know we have listeners from all parts of the world, and we have made a commitment since the beginning to make the truths shared through Discerning Hearts totally free. So while you may not be able to contribute financially, what you can do is certainly pray, but also give us positive reviews on whatever platform you use to listen to us. If it's iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, however it is that you get these podcasts, Or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, the higher our profile, and the more listeners will discover us, listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today.
We now return to Regnum Novum with Omar Gutierrez. That term connect, I think, is so vitally important, Mm. especially when we understand solidarity, because a connection with someone means that in my own movement, if I'm moving forward, they're connected to me, and hence they're moving forward. Yes. Or if I fall backwards, hopefully in that connection, I'm before I pummeled over the abyss in that connection, they can pull me back up. Exactly. I mean, that there's a connection. I don't move forward unless they move forward, or if they're falling back, I have to do what I can do it, it, to bring them along. And, and people who've done that kind of connected charitable work, you know, and, and actually working with the poor, um, they themselves will tell you that they got more out of it than, they, than the poor did. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I'm reminded of a, of a woman who, who founded this organization to facilitate uh, microfinance loans. And when she got the idea because she was working in Africa um, and working with goat herders, etc., and they did not want donations. They specifically said, we don't want your money. What we want is a chance for uh, me to buy this particular machine or a chance to buy um, a certain kind of goat or whatever that will help make my life better so that it's part of my dignity, and, uh, and then I get to pay you back after a while. What she discovered in talking with these goat herders, et cetera, was that when you're talking about loans, when you're talking about a loan, you're giving not just money, but you're building a relationship because, because then you're involved in the other person's life. It's not just about them paying you back. It's about making sure that they're doing okay. How are things going? This is why um, you know, Father Sirico, the Action Institute, and others have, have talked about the great vocation of the entrepreneur, uh, that someone who goes forward, who takes a risk out in society, who, to build relationships with other people, uh, to affect their lives for the better, but, but more importantly, to build relationships so that they come to understand um, that we're both in this together to make this project or business or whatever work. Uh, and as the Holy Father has said in, the, in this gratuitousness, this notion of self-gift and the logic of gifting uh, and of giving, um, we end up having solidarity with the rest of society when our relationship to society is one of service. And the best businessmen and the best entrepreneurs and the best uh, w- laborers know that uh, they bring their best and they produce the most fruit when they bring to it the sense of, of servitude. One of the dangers that can occur when we enter into discussions and applications of solidarity is if, and it's a great paradox, that if solidarity becomes an isolated charism, that it's not something that is in solidarity with all the other Catholic social teaching elements, and in particular, those five values as a whole that you talked about. No, that's absolutely right. In fact, the compendium makes it very clear um, that, uh, solidarity is linked integrally with all the other ones, common good, universalist nation, subsidiarity. In fact, Pope Benedict says they're sisters, subsidiarity and solidarity. You can't have one without the other because um, the danger of just focusing on solidarity, which unfortunately, to be honest, is where a lot of some social justice teachers focus on, just solidarity, um, is that uh, you begin to want to do for the other uh, without allowing them uh, the opportunity and the dignity to do for themselves. 
You begin to, like a parent will, for instance, when a child struggles, when a child falls, uh, to constantly want to give to the child, to give and to give and to give, when in reality, sometimes the, the work of the parent is to, to allow the child to fail so that he can grow and learn and try harder. Um, that's difficult for parents and, and that's difficult for anybody. But that's, that's what this, the, the principle of subsidiarity is there to help us do, to allow those at the local area, those who are closest to the issues, to figure it out for themselves as much as they can and to lend the help as we can, but not to enforce it upon them. Omar, isn't it true that if we went back to the example we began with of the solidarity movement in Poland mm. in the late 80s, early 90s, that it couldn't have made it if solidarity had been the only charism, that movement of the spirit occurring within that group. It, you could see subsidiarity in all of that action, couldn't you? Could you could see subsidiarity, you could see common good in all of it. You could see an authentic understanding of the universal destination of goods. I mean, it's a, you know, it's a communist country. It's, its whole point is to distribute <laughs> goods, and yet they understood that this redistribution of wealth wasn't working, despite the fact of all the promises of Marx and Lenin and the rest of them. They understood that participation was necessary. I mean, um, they couldn't just have two or three guys at the shipyards show up. It required the participation of everybody in that community um, really putting themselves out on the line. I mean, they, they, they could have been rounded up. If there hadn't been so many of them, they could have easily just been rounded up and, and taken care of very quietly, as happened to many. But there's another aspect of solidarity, too, and that is the sort of the chronological solidarity. What motivated... You know, Lech Walesa and so many in Poland understood that their future, the future of their families, was dependent on being able to get out from under the oppression of this this Soviet regime, this communist regime. Uh, solidarity isn't just a geographical reality. It's also understanding that we have to look out for future generations and be in solidarity with them and be in solidarity with past generations. Chesterton has that great line about tradition being the democracy of the dead. It's the, tradition is the way that the dead tell us how to best order our lives. And so it's, it's their vote. What they're passing on is their vote. And so in solidarity with our traditions, in solidarity with those who've come before us, who've, who've in a sense lived much longer than we will ever live, that too is an aspect of solidarity we need to keep in mind. On several occasions, I refer to solidarity as a charism. And that's truly what it is. It is a gift of the Holy Spirit. It even is stated as such in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. It is a charism, and, and you know, a charism is defined basically as a gift of the Holy Spirit. We're, we're given the two as Christians for not just for our sake, but for the advancement of the mission of the Church. And Paul VI, and John Paul II, and Benedict XVI have always been very clear that the social doctrine of the Church is evangelical. Um, that which is the mission of the church to bring people to Christ, and solidarity is that manifestation uh, in as a charism, as a manifestation of the care for those um, who perhaps aren't Christian, or the care for those who for who are. It's that, as I was saying before, it's that manifestation of the of the the value of love, uh, of charity. Benedict XVI makes very clear that authentic charity is rooted in who Christ is. And it is a charism to be able to love as he did. It is a gift, a grace from God 
that we are given to be able to love that much. And so solidarity then ends up being, yes, a charism and something that helps to advance the mission of the church in, in that other people see, other people notice the power of the Christian thing when they see Christians behave as Christ desired us to, to do. We are called to be saints. Yeah. That universal call to holiness. Yeah. That expression of holiness is so brightly seen by the world through the living out of Catholic social teaching, isn't it? Exactly right. Uh, that's the, you know, the the people of light that we're being called to do to, to be the light of the people's lumen gentium, which is that wonderful document from, from Vatican II on on what the Church is, a light to the people. And what we're invited to in the social doctrine is to allow this teaching to transform our lives to the point where we can truly be those great representatives of of Christ and of the Church for the world. We know it is not just theory, because in the creed that we profess every Sunday, we say we believe in the communion of saints. When we talk about a gift of the Holy Spirit, their example and their continual witnessing for us is something that is of, of great value to us all, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. That's a wonderful sort of, you know, summation of what solidarity ends up becoming because we, you know, we've talked about you know, physical solidarity and geographic and chronological solidarity, but what about spiritual solidarity? Oftentimes we forget, A, as we also say in the Creed, that we believe in things seen and unseen, uh, that in this room there are twice as many people as the persons as we might be able to see because there are angels here created by God in solidarity uh, to help us out. And there are, of course, the great communion of saints uh, constantly there. So this, the sense of solidarity has become spiritual because we, we have the, the church that's here, but we also have the church triumphant that is constantly praying for us and, and constantly trying to bring us to where they are in interceding. And we have the church suffering. Another wonderful sense of solidarity where we are called as the church militant to help fight for them too, and to to feel to feel their pain in a sense, to help get them out of purgatory into heaven. So the sense of solidarity really encapsulates so many aspects of our lives as Catholics. And if if your spirituality draws you towards intercessory prayer, which is another charism in and of itself, that too can be a form of solidarity for the poor and for those around the world that perhaps God is calling you um, to do to manifest your solidarity by particular prayer for the poor, which is what some orders do. Mm. Solidarity. It is a great, great charism that we're all called to receive and to participate in. It's the, it's the principles, the charism that really sort of colors so much of, of the rest of the social doctrine, which is why we, we really need to understand it properly and integrally um, as we approach what it is we do. Thank you, Omar. Thank you, Chris. You've been listening to Regnum Novum, bringing forth the new evangelization through Catholic social teaching with Deacon Omar Gutierrez. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission, 
And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for Regnum Novum, bringing forth the new evangelization through Catholic social teaching with Deacon Omar Gutierrez. <laughs>